Your Steve Jones Show podcast is loading now. The Steve Jones Show podcast is sponsored by Sunbury Motors, North 4th Street in Sunbury, and Sunbury Motors Kia, routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. Sports talk where your voice counts. This is the Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Now from the Sunbury Motors Studio, here's Steve Jones. Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors Kia, routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf, and online at sunburymotors.com. Ford, Lincoln, Kia, Hyundai. Great new inventory, fabulous pre owned inventory. With a great sales staff and an awesome service department, it's all at Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors Kia, routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf, and online at sunburymotors.com. Well, the last 90 seconds of the game last night took 7 hours and 22 minutes to play, but it finally culminated in this one. Crowder looking, throws it, alley, oh, Aiden puts it down, he puts it down, it's over. And they're trying to say goaltending, but that's a live basketball, he can finish it. What a perfectly executed play, Aiden guides it in beautifully. What an incredible job by Monty Williams designing that play to perfection. Uh, I want to give uh, praise specifically to the broadcast team last night. Mike Breen, uh, Jeff Van Gundy, Mark Jackson, in particular Mark Jackson. Uh, I think Jeff Van Gundy normally is really, really good. Last night I thought Mark Jackson shined. Mark Jackson's the one that talked about how the alley-oop is not a goaltending play. On an inbounds play, it cannot be goaltending. He's the one that talked about how the Clippers had to put the same five guys on the floor that defended the play because it was a review and not a timeout, and the Clippers were out of timeouts. He did a great job of guiding, Mark Jackson did, the fans through the rules last night. I thought he was terrific. And I a lot of credit due to Mark Jackson. Jeff Van Gundy, I, I always think, is very, very good. I thought Mark Jackson shined last night. And then Mike Breen, who's always great. I mean, Mike is just terrific. Um, at one point, he talked about how many replays were going on, and and it just it just took away from the the full experience of the game last night. Because number one, the level of play was not very good last night. It just wasn't. It was it really was not a good game. It had an exciting finish, but it wasn't a good game. And the replays took so long, it just took everything away from it last night. I mean, I kept sitting there and waiting and waiting and waiting. I mean, I I broadcast a baseball game last night, came home and started watching that game. It's like, okay, when's it going to end? All right. Great to have on the show Dennis Dodd, who is, there's not, I don't think there's anybody that has covered the issues of intercollegiate athletics better than Dennis. We've talked about it many times because Dennis knows that we, too, talk about the same issues. Dennis, welcome back. Great to have you with us. Steve, how are you? Good. Thank you. Doing great. Doing great. Um, okay, so Alston happened this week, and Alston, the the basic premise of Alston was it dealt with 
the tools needed within your scholarship, a laptop, a computer, an iPad, you know, maybe even a printer scanner or whatever. But it's yeah. bigger than that. It's bigger than that. I thought it was the biggest ruling since Oklahoma, Georgia in 84. Uh, what was Me your too. thought? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Why did you think it was? I gave my reasons. What did you think? Why did well, you think it was? Because, because you can draw a direct line from Board of Regents in 84, which deregulated college football television, to Monday because that created the, I would say, unregulated um, pot of money that eventually attracted lawyers when student athletes, when players weren't getting enough of it. And it was big enough that they could collect their 30% fees, and that made it matter. Um, so even going back then, it's the NCAA's fault. You know, I, I think in anybody's mind, looking at the landscape today, it would be ridiculous to think the NCAA had right to limit exposure of college football two or three games a, a day. And that's what it was for folks that don't remember. So you've got this money sitting there. It eventually got to the Supreme Court case. And the NCAA, for what reasons I don't know, decided to die on this hill of what you just described as very narrow education-based benefits that are capped at about $6,000 a year per student, like laptops and internships and stuff like that. Um, I'm not going to comment. Well, I will comment on their legal strategy. I think it was dumb. So yes. in, in losing Agreed. the case, in losing the case, not only did they lose, they were smacked down back to the Stone Age, nine to nothing. And Brett Kavanaugh, who no one would think is pro-labor, given you know why he was appointed to the court, told the NCAA not only you know gave his opinion, but said, "Don't bring this stuff before us again because anything you do." in terms of athlete compensation is going to be subject to, uh, to antitrust violations. And so at that point, I think the NCAA, big picture, became a fly on the wall to the whole enterprise. Mm. No, exactly. It did. I, because I, I, I made a joke when the ruling came down. I said, well, the NCAA can take solace out of the minority opinion. Oh, wait, there wasn't one. Right. Uh, so... <laughs> right. Who, see, who had Sean Austin in nine? That was yeah. <laughs> they, Austin they, they nine, covered, that's right. They covered I mean, nine judges. Yeah. I mean, Elena Kagan, uh, Sonia Sotomayor, Brett Kavanaugh, and Amy Comedy Barrett all agreed. That tells you yeah. something. Clarence Thomas. Yeah. <laughs> yes, everybody. Clarence Thomas. Everybody along the way. So, what does this do in the end for the relevancy of the NCAA, in your opinion? Well, like I said, I, as I wrote Monday, I think this is the end of amateurism as we know it, whatever whatever that is. I, I don't know if I can define it right now. And, and probably you know, maybe one day the NCA along with it. I, I think what this leaves big picture for the NCA is for now to oversee maybe eligibility and enforcement. People don't think they do that very well. And then right. they throw a heck of a party every March. And, and that's, their, that's their value. Um, it's come to that. I, I, that's why I don't think there'll be a breakaway. I don't think the presidents have stomach for – they could do it. They could form their own division and have their own basketball tournament, but there'd be too much heavy lifting. So I think the NCAA survives, but but is a bit player. I mean, you already see the college football playoff is an LLC, a separate company. It's going to yes. triple – you know, it triple its playoff, double or triple its income, and those mm-hmm. 130 schools in FBS, particularly the 65 and Power Five, 
are going to control all that money. So yep. it, it's almost a separate, a separate, um, you know, situation or a separate company with the college football playoff. But the NCAA will not be as powerful as it was uh, after Monday, and it, it, to the point that they're not even going to control by July 1st what NIL rules are. There's now an alternative solution being developed that is meant as a workaround because the NCAA can't put guardrails around any NIL legislation right now. They'd be sued back to the Stone Age. Which then brings me to that issue, because in the fall of 2019, California passed and Governor Mm -hmm. Newsom signed their bill, which goes into effect on January 1st, 2023. So I remember when it came up, I said, well, okay, that gives the NCAA some time. Then June 12th, a year ago, Florida passed and Governor DeSantis signed their NIL bill. Now the clock's ticking. Why since June 12th? Because I don't care what anybody says. A year is a long time. Last I checked, we just have been living through a pandemic. It felt like a long time to me. Uh, yeah, yeah. Why haven't they been able to come up with something or at least look at the six states that have passed it and cherry-pick the parts they liked and tweak the parts they didn't? Because they've been incompetent. Uh, Steve, they had a chance to address this 15 years ago when uh, Ed O'Bannon saw his, yes. his, you know, his face on the cover of that video game. They could have stepped right in and said, you know, let's start making some accommodations that th- these players that are on, on these games can share some of the revenue. You know, it doesn't professionalize them. Uh, in fact, what we're talking about now doesn't professionalize them. But at every That's turn, right. they defended a model that is the only one like it in the world and is frankly indefensible. Um, when you talk about, uh, Judge Kavanaugh said it, you know, a billion-dollar-plus billion, billion dollar plus industry where the players get comparatively nothing. And, and the labor is built on their backs. And I don't want to hear about a free scholarship. You know what they have to do for that free scholarship? A Pac-12 study found that they athletes, not football players, all athletes mm-hmm. work about 50 hours a week. That's more than a 40-hour-a-week paying job at their right. sports because they are compelled to. Um, and legislation, Steve, had to be put in that no team could practice after midnight or before 6 a.m., you know why? You're right. Somebody, somebody, somebody out there was doing it. So that don't tell me that's a free scholarship. No, I mean the legendary John Cheney practiced at 5 a.m. Yeah, yeah. I mean you and I know so, you and I know that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and not only, but let let's put the 50 hours into perspective here for everybody. Remember that still doesn't include the schoolwork they have to do. Well, that's I, just that, the sport. I, was just say that. I said, yeah, and you're supposed to yeah. be, and that's why they're herded into uh, easy classes, um, you know, classes that they don't want to take and pursue their, you know, what they wanted to come to school for. We've seen example after example of that, that they're done by, what, noon, so they can get taped and go to practice, mm-hmm. and then they have to start their homework at 8 at night. So it's... Look, the NCAA, the hypocrisy of the NCAA is that the experience should be as close to the normal student as possible. Mm-hmm. Well, the normal student can start a YouTube channel and not tell the school anything about its contract or how much he earns. In this situation, they're making they're even making players disclose their contracts. I don't know right, what exactly. Right, exactly. Uh, which now brings me to this. An area where Mark Emmer 
And this is where he has failed as a witness before the Senate. He's failed as a witness in the Obama trial, where he starts talking about the ivory tower feel of, yeah. uh, of, of, of a university. He talks about that. Instead of just saying, hey, look, let me defend this by saying this is where the money goes. And you talk about men's soccer, women's soccer. When I read Justice Kavanaugh's opinion, I was impressed by the fact that he threw Title IX in there. Yeah. And said, you can make it. That told me something that the NCAA is in an absolute box because the Supreme Court justice brought up what potentially could be your argument, which, by the way, you didn't make, and said it's not going to be good enough in this case. Yeah. You know why he threw Title IX in there? Because he sees into the future. In fact, I wanted to make that point that all these justices, more or less, had grown up, quote-unquote, in this age that we're talking about, since 84, when sports, college sports has blown right. up. So they knew what the, what the subjects were. Um, yep. Title IX is an issue because this is going to be the cascading effect of the NCAAs in action. Uh, I just talked to someone today who told me that the average increase in athletic budget because of this decision on Monday is going to be a million dollars. I said, that doesn't sound like much. The person mm-hmm. said, you know what, it does sound like much when you've got to pay for swimming or equestrian or something like yes. that. And so there's right. going to be a broad, right, as it stands right now, a broad uh, dropping of sports as if there hasn't been uh, a lot already this year, I think, this academic year or more than ever. Um saw 11 dropped at Stanford and then reinstated. That's not the point. The point is that there's going the Title IX situation is teams and athletic departments are going to go to where the revenue is, and that's football and basketball, and all they're going to care about in general, these are all generalities, is right. balancing those 85 scholarships and those 15 scholarships, giving me 100 women on the other side, and we can't be sued, everything else gets cut. Again, that's, right. that's, that's hyperbole, but that's where it's headed. Uh, there's going to be a lot of club sports jumping up here lately, Steve. Okay, now, obviously, CBS Sports, and in particular, you've done a great job in this. Athletic attained uh, a memo on this, and it's Mark Emmer. And I know, you, I know you've looked at it, so I'm not, but yeah. I'm going to inform the audience of what's in it. Uh, and basically, Emmer said that he wanted to develop interim solutions so that student athletes, no matter which state they're enrolled in, would be able to take advantage of NAL opportunities. Equally important, we remain committed to working with Congress to chart a path forward. Uh, look, this is that, that's kind of an empty suit memo. How did you yeah. view it? He's trying to take credit for what is happening, going to have to happen inevitably. There's going to have to be a solution beyond the NCAA, as I mentioned in the front. Um, whatever they put forward with their name on it, is going to be slapped down and, and susceptible to antitrust violation. What's going to have to happen, it, it, it'll be couched a different way, but the players will make deals with conferences and and or schools, thereby lessening um, the legal liability. In other words, if, you know, if, if a player doesn't like what a school is offering, the school can say, go somewhere else. Uh, mm-hmm. It's not a collusion. They're horizontal partners. They're going to be, what, in football, 130 options. So we're not colluding. Mm-hmm. We're just telling you that we kept this income at X. That leaves, that essentially leaves the NCAA out. Because the NCAA can't say that. But the schools and the conferences can. 
I'm not saying it eliminates legal liability. It, it lessens it. All right, so this will be two parts, short-term, long-term. A week from tomorrow, okay, we get to July 1st, Florida, Alabama, Texas, Mississippi, Georgia, New Mexico, their name, image, and likeness laws go into effect. Now, by the way, each state, they're all different. They are not unified rules. Okay, they're all different in each state, but they do go into effect. So short-term, how do you see this playing out? And then long-term, what is the potential solution, and is that solution Congress? Uh, The short-term solution is that on midnight on July 1st, there will be athletes that hit the send button for half-million-dollar deals in in some places, in some states. Small percentage, Mm -hmm. because not everybody's going to get that money. We know that. Um, And I don't think there's any way that stops. The market, in other words, the market will decide. Just like the market decides what a house is worth, how much you're going to pay for a for a car, what somebody can demand for a pound of turkey, that's what will happen. It's a market that's been created out of nothing. It'll be very interesting to see where it goes, but uh, it will be there, and it will be interesting to watch. I've, there there are investment, not investment. There are earning opportunities that we haven't even thought of. Yes, that will be out there. Get, just given social alone, you know, there there are things out there that the NCA hasn't even thought of. Now, as far as relief from from Congress, it's not coming anytime soon. They break on July twentieth, I think, and don't come back till September. So it's going to be the wild, wild west of all this stuff going on. And I, even then, I don't know if Congress now has the stomach to give an antitrust exemption, given what the Supreme Court just said. Um, and we've already seen that push become politicized, like any bill on the Hill does. The right. Republicans want an antitrust exemption and maybe, um, you know, help with the states. The Democrats want more on the back end with, with long-term medical ter- care, post-graduation, um, and insurance. So can they come together? It looks less and less like they can, and it may die there. That's what I'm saying. Either the, the NCAA has lost its ability to define amateurism because either it's going whatever they put forward isn't going to stick legally and if they get help from congress it's like it's like an episode of shark tank you're selling 50 percent of the company the federal government is going to define um uh college athletics into a smaller term what eligibility is and what compensation is does everybody want that i don't know i don't know the answer to that well i don't understand how you can be an organization and allegedly work on something for a year because the clock's been ticking since June twelfth last year. Three. Oh yeah, right. More than a year, but I'm saying the clock really started ticking June twelfth last year. Like now, now the pressure's on. We better do something. But it's been going on for fifteen years, and expect Congress to bail you out. That's your strategy. Yeah. That became that became official policy. I was at a ad's meeting in September of two thousand nineteen. In, yep. in Washington, D.C., where Mark Emmert told this group of ADs, he said this. He said this. Uh, NIL is an existential threat to college athletics. In December, three months later, he's photographed with his arm around Cory Booker and all these senators and Congress. We yeah. need your help. Well, something changed there. Sounds like yeah. a lot of hypocrisy to me, where he's telling those ADs in private one thing and then reaching out to give away the farm, which the NCA, by the way, was, um, you know, said they would never do. We don't need the federal government in our 
in our business. Now they can't function. Now they can't continue without the federal government, literally. So uh, I would say it's unbelievable, except the, here's the problem I have. It actually is believable. Because you and I, you and I know know who some of the players are in this. It is believable. Yeah. <laughs> so. so what that, this memo is that there's not much new in it. I would no. pay attention to the last page where Emmert says we're working with divisional governance bodies. You know what? The divisional governance bodies are working with themselves uh, yeah. to make deals with athletes right now. Uh, and he's trying to take take credit for it. So it will have the NCAA's name on it, but. It will be the conferences uh, providing a solution for themselves when you see it. Yeah, which is also the same group that's providing the six hundred million to maybe one point two billion increase in football money they'll get. It's not going to come from the NCAA. It'll be the conferences that'll work it out. Well, it'll be the, it'll be the TV partners. Um, yeah, because yeah. because it's worth it, and and there'll be yeah. more money in the system. And who's to say the players don't get bonuses? for making the playoffs. I mean, you can already see it. This would be allowed under NIL. You give them yes, all a bonus, all 12 teams, for making the making the, the playoff, and that gives them access to any player for any commercial. And let's say they take the top four quarterbacks and put them in a commercial for the playoffs selling Coke. You're going to see it. You're going to see it. Amazing uh, times. It, yeah. Amazing times, and as always, amazing analysis. Dennis, you've been all over every inch of this, and I'm going to tell you right I've already had several text messages from people saying how much they've learned just by listening to this in the last uh, 20 minutes. <laughs> no, seriously, no. It, it, this is educational for the fan. I mean, this you know, these are stuff, things that you and I talk about all the time. But you know, part of what you know, when you do something like this, you know, part of the job of the show is to help educate people. You've just done that, so. Well, I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on, Steve. Hey, Dennis, it's always a pleasure. Thank you. Dennis Dodd, CBS Sports. We'll come back more in a moment. Great to have you with us today. Brought to you by Sunbury Motors on News Radio 1070 WKOK. When it comes to car buying, there's the other guy's way, and then there's the SMC way. The other guys force you into a vehicle you really don't want. The Sunbury Motors way lets you take the time you need to browse, ask questions, and take the test drive and think on it. For over 100 years, the Mertz family and all their employees have made your experience the most pleasant one you'll ever have. The other guys won't offer you the best price for your trade, no matter how much they say they will. The SMC way is their promise to provide you with the most money the market shows your vehicle is worth. The SMC way is to offer you all applicable factory rebates on new vehicles and generous discounts. Looking for a pre-owned vehicle? The SMC way checks each vehicle in a 200-mile radius to determine the lowest price, then beat it. It's the lowest price promise, just part of the SMC way. The choice is up to you. The other guy's way or the SMC way? The SMC way wins every time. Sunbury Motors Company in the North 4th Street Auto Plaza, Sunbury, and at sunburymotors.com. Selling more cars and satisfying more customers for over 100 years. Taking your calls at 800-795-9565. This is the Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Now from the Sunbury Motors Studio, here's Steve Jones. All right, Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors, Key Routes 11 and 15, Nummel's Wharf, and online at sunburymotors.com. Ford, Lincoln, Kia, Hyundai. Sunbury Motors has them all. And great pre-owned inventory. Fabulous sales staff that works with you. Service departments, great all at Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors, Kia Routes 11 and 15, Hummels Wharf, online at sunburymotors.com. After the uplifting interviews with Joe Putnam and Dennis Dodd, 
We now get to the downer of the show. No, it's not the suit. The suit sends the show into the abyss. No, we're going to talk for a little bit about the Pirates. Oh, I know. I apologize to the audience, but they are carried in the area. So we bring in Chris Mack for the uplifting part of the show. Chris, welcome. Glad I've been brought in to bring the mood down, Steve. Yeah, absolutely. Anytime we talk <laughs> about the Pirates, it really opens the door to the dark room. Uh, <laughs> They've uh, somehow, some way, won three consecutive games, or something, three or four, or something like that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, it probably has the city really stirred up, right? Oh yes, uh, people are. No, I can't even pretend for a moment. Um, <laughs> you know, it's, it's. I mean, hey, it, it, it's it's better than a ten-game losing streak. Yeah. Um, there, it's you know, people know what this season is. I think uh, they're frustrated by it in different ways, but. You know, I think most people who consider themselves uh, fans of this team and fans of sports in general in Pittsburgh, um, they, they, they all, we all knew what we were getting into this season, and that there's going to be a lot of growing pains, and that, that you know that includes the guys on the field as well as uh, the, the bench boss. You know, Derek Shelton's had his moments as well, so um, it's just it, it's a matter of getting through those ups and downs and. And trying to find the uh, the silver linings in the clouds, which I think to this point have been that you know the the guys that you see at the top of lists for trade deadline acquisitions are guys like Adam Frazier and Richard Rodriguez, um, and if Tyler Anderson can can get some things back together to where he was at the beginning of the season, maybe he he moves as well, and they continue to fortify the system for you know where they'd like to be in say three to four years from now. Okay, uh, let me before I get to this. Why is it? Are the pirates not at one hundred percent yet on capacity? Uh, yeah, you know they they're permitted to be, but they haven't. They, they sold their their tickets in monthly blocks, um, and I guess their their reasoning was they wanted to, you know, even after restrictions were completely lifted uh, on outdoor events. They wanted to open things up with the, you know, the, they wanted to finish June the way it's, they had started June and uh, sort of start fresh in July. So July first will be the the date where they sell a hundred or you know they, they put a hundred percent of tickets on sale. And they have a lot of plans for that weekend, that Fourth of July weekend. They're calling it a reopening weekend, and um, there is you know there is a, a decent amount of. Uh, buzz, I think, for for people that just want to get back out to the ballpark, knowing again exactly what kind of team they're seeing. Um, but you know, the, the, the Mets and Phillies are both coming into town over the next month right. or so. Um, those always bring decent crowds, um, and if it's a nice weekend, uh, there are worse places to be than on the shores of the Allegheny, watching a little baseball with a hot dog and a beer. Oh, well, no question. I mean, I mean, the, the, from the pure entertainment part, uh, right? You know, and to get out there. In a ballpark, green grass, the whole day. That's awesome. I mean, so mm-hmm. and, and in that setting, because uh, PNC Park has about as breathtaking a setting as any I've seen in sports, period. Uh, I yeah. think it's phenomenal. But back to the club for a moment. Mm-hmm. How can you win over fans if that you finally get somebody that has some traction, Frazier, Reynolds, and instead of building around them, you deal them? I think in the case of Frazier, people understand that he's probably not going to be around the next time this team is good anyway, right? He's, he's got another year of arbitration after this year, um, and and then, you know, he's going to hit the free agent market. And uh, I, I think people are, are realistic enough to understand that. 
I don't necessarily buy into the Brian Reynolds trade talk. I think they, that unless they got a haul in return, um, it would not make a lot of sense because you can see him being a part of the next good Pirates team because of the way um, because of the way Major League Baseball contracts are structured. You know, he'll he'll be around for another few years, uh, and he's a Super Two guy, so it's an extra year of arbitration. But you know, he's a guy that's shown himself outside of the little blip of last year and last year being what it was. Um, he's shown himself to be routinely productive uh, near the top of the order. Um, he's taken over center field, something they weren't really able to find anybody to take over since Starling Marte was dealt. So um, I think he's valuable and will be valuable going forward. So I don't know if Ben Charrington is necessarily listening to a lot of calls on him. But as far as Frazier goes, I mean, it, it's still a system that needs to get more pitching and needs to find more, I would think, corner infield and corner outfield power. Um, they still don't have their next catcher in the system anywhere, um, which is why a lot of people think they may eschew one of the Vandy pitchers and go with uh, the kid from Louisville uh, with that first overall pick because he's a catcher and he could be here in three years. Um, so they've still got a lot of building to do, and that's where the ability to deal a guy like Frazier, who, again, isn't, isn't probably going to be right. a, a part of the next winning Pirates ball club, comes into play. What is Ben Sherrington's record of, of getting um, draft? I'm, I'm sorry. What is Ben Sherrington's record of getting prospects when he makes a deal? Because I can tell you right now, the biggest deal he made in Boston was when he dealt Crawford and mm-hmm. he dealt Gonzalez. And, you know, he, he sent him to Los Angeles. To be honest with you, he – and obviously Josh Beckett was in that deal. And in that deal, what he did was he rid the Red Sox of $250 million in salaries, which was huge, which mm-hmm. was huge, which he then translated into, you know, like a Johnny Gomes comes in as a free agent and Victor right. Reno comes in as a free agent. But the prospects he got in return, not one of them, not one of them was worth – I mean, the whole point was getting rid of salary, not prospects. So what's his, yeah. tra- what's his track record? I, I mean, you you laid out how things worked for him in Boston. I think, you know, the 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 strategy here in Pittsburgh obviously doesn't involve shedding salary. There's no salary left to shed, really. <laughs> um, so um, I, I will say, you know, so the the reviews on some of the guys they've acquired to this point in some of these deals uh, is not bad. Leo Pagero, who they got from the Arizona organization in the Starling Marte deal. Um, is probably one of their future middle infielders, or at least has been talked about as such, um, or you know becomes trade bait uh, in the future to acquire you know because they are jammed up. There, there's a big log jam in the middle infield for this organization going mm-hmm. forward. Right. Um, he he didn't necessarily hit a home run with the Josh Bell deal, I don't think. But then the Joe Musgrove deal, I mean, I, I think he did a great job with that as well. To this point, um, we'll see how it's, how it, how it all flushes out in the end I I think you know he's lucky I think in that he's got a couple of pieces right now a few pieces maybe that are all in positions to be coveted by more than one team you know every team could use a back end of the bullpen guy and Rodriguez has been dependable this year every team could use a swing starter long man in the in the bullpen and Anderson more often than not has been reliable to eat up innings this year you know there's a plenty of teams Yankees included, White Sox who they're playing today included, who could use a guy 
to eat up starting at-bats while one of their currently injured starters gets healthy and then play sort of a super utility role like Frazier could do. I mean, he's been first or second in the National League in hits for the better part of six weeks now. So uh, they have the opportunity um, if, if Charrington can, you know, maybe – leverage a couple of teams against each other to at least get a, uh, some packages that, that look good now. Whether those shake out in the end, I mean, that's the million-dollar question. It's a hard t- hard way to live, isn't it? It's, it's, you know, it's a hard way. It's, it's a hard way to be a fan, to be quite honest. That's, you my, know? that's my point. My point is, for to be a fan, you have to sit back and go, oh, great. Yeah, so, I mean, do I show up in 2025? I mean, or do you want me to go right, right now? And it's tough when you see – I think if it weren't for the Rays being so successful, you know, because the Rays are the one that everybody points to, right? right. They can't sell out. They, they're, in, they're in Florida. They're playing on a concrete warehouse. They can't sell it out, <laughs> right. even though they're one of the best teams in baseball. Right. They've got all these electrifying players. You see Wander Franco do what he did last night. Glass now when he's healthy. All, Med, Meadows, you know, obviously we're talking former Pirates prospects now, which really drives Pirates fans nuts. Um, but – you know, to, to see that team routinely put it together and have very few multi-year dips, to see the A's uh, almost every year at least be in, in some sort of fringe contention, right, in a tough division, um, to, to see teams like that continue to remain competitive, it does. It, ma- it makes it hard to swallow. And it's why, you know, a certain amount of the fan base, I'll be honest, it does feel has sort of, checked out until they until they can tell that this team is going to be good again it doesn't mean they're not pirates fans anymore it just means they're not actively engaged you know uh, you know checking the box score in the morning or watching the game on a given night if they happen to be you know there happens to be nothing else on they'll flip it on sure you know have the game on in the background see what the pirates are doing but they're not engaged like they were certainly in 2013 through 2015, or even in the one or two years both following and previous to that, when you had the rise of the, the McCutcheon era team and then the fall and teardown of, of that era, you know, from 2010 to 2016 or 17, it, it felt like people there were a lot more active fans than where we're at right now. Well, the, the fans were awesome in those years. Not good. They were awesome. Yeah, uh, but here this is not Ben Sherrington's fault. So this has nothing to do with Ben Sherrington. But as somebody who's watched prospects, Vermont was Oakland, Lowell was Boston, Staten Island, Staten Island was New York. Right. And of course I see what, you know, what what the Cardinals were doing here at State College. Mm-hmm. The bottom line is the Pirates were outdrafted. The Pirates had the prime draft picks and got outdrafted by people. Mike Trout's in the late 20s. Okay? Aaron, Aaron Judge's in the late 20s. I'm watching Mookie Betts play second base in Lowell. They could have had any of these guys. And they made, yeah. they made other picks instead. And you know what? Mo, more often than not, the Pirates were the team. We'll take the high school guy. You'll right. take the yeah. high school guy? Really? The, 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 well, and, and I'll be curious to see. And, again, you're right. It's not, that's not Ben Charrington's track it, record. It is not. Uh, but I, I do find I, I will be curious to see. You know, w- when the draft comes around next month, uh, how how much of an appetite do they have for a high school player? I'd love to see them take Jack Leiter or Kumar Rocker from yes. Vanderbilt and lean a little bit more lighter. But uh, look, I, that's I think a, the, the, that level right now in the SEC, right? That's almost like that's almost a double A level. It is. I mean, those are guys that are only going to take two to three years to be made. Yes, and, and 
that what will be concerning for me is not necessarily, you know, if they take one of these two high school shortstops that are, are ranked near the top of the draft pool, it won't be so much that they chose the high school shortstop over the, the Vanderbilt pitchers. It'll be more that it signals, hey, we're not really, we, we don't know if we're two or three years away yet. We think we might be more like four or five years away. And that would be concerning to me as a fan because that tells me, you know, and again, maybe I'm reading too much into it, but wherever they go in the draft is going to give me a little bit of a bead on where Ben Charrington and everybody else in the organization thinks they are on their timeline. If they go with some high school shortstop who, again, may end up being the next Manny Machado, we don't know. They passed on the first Manny Machado for Jamison Tyone. Um, so if it ends up being that, great, but it still means you're probably waiting a little bit longer than maybe you even originally thought you would as a Pirates fan to see your team be good again. Because, let's face it, I told this story the other day you know, about my mother-in-law had a poster on the wall, and it was a sheep standing on a rock with a dopey look on its face. For some reason, everybody said it kind of looked like me. But that's a different story. And the sheep is standing on the rock with a dopey look on its face, and it says, I'm so far behind, I think I'm first. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, you're 2021 Pittsburgh Pirates. Yep, yep. If it weren't for the Diamondbacks and the and the oh, Orioles, Orioles, they'd they'd be in the basement. So, I mean, uh, yeah, it, it's, it is. It's frustrating, and as a fan, it's it's – Nobody enjoys being the fan of the rebuilding team, and the Orioles can certainly sympathize. Their fans can with well, that. But the Oriole rebuild's been longer. I know it's it's the never-ending rebuild, um, and I, I think the hope here in Pittsburgh is just that it we don't end up with that again here. You know, with another long losing streak of forget twenty years, but ten or fifteen years. I, I just I'll be honest, I don't know if if the the fans of Pittsburgh can withstand that. Like, th- this team, if, if it's another four or five years, hey, it is what it is. Um, but, you know, if, if they get back to the playoffs in another four or five years, I think a lot of fans will say, okay, we're back. We'll, we'll reserve judgment for what happens from here on out. But if, if they don't – if this rebuild doesn't work, if, if, the, if Charrington doesn't bring the organization back to relevance – then the, what few hangers-on are left um, will just continue to fall by the wayside. What's more frustrating right now, the Pirates, in part because it's expected, or the fact the Penguins can't advance? <laughs> um, I think the Penguins are, are probably more frustrating because yeah. we're I'll, I'll be quite honest, we're, we're spoiled with the Penguins. They're good. And, and I mean that in the nicest way possible. Yep. For the past, let's see, 1984, what's this, 2021? So for the last four decades, essentially, We've been lucky enough to be blessed with one of the two or three most talented players in the world uh, in our city, whether it was Mario Lemieux or Yarmir Yager or Sidney Crosby and Evgeny Malkin at the same time. And because of that, we expect the team to be good. The years from 2009 to 2016 were painful, um, not just because of the Crosby concussion issues, but because you wondered, are these guys ever going to fulfill their promise again? And they win back-to-back cups, and then it's just – for Penguins fans, and I, I lump myself in, in in this category because I am a Penguins fan, it, 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 nothing's ever enough. But it's frustrating when you have that level of talent and, and a really good coach, to be honest, and Mike Sullivan, he knows yeah. exactly what he's doing, yep. but you can't piece it all together. Um, and that's and, and now you're looking at guys at 34, 35 years old. Right. Uh, Crosby, Malkin, Latang, they're not getting any younger. Yeah. Uh, 
that's why you bring up Mike Sullivan, who is a terrific coach. It's one thing about Derek Shelton. I can't tell in a million years right now whether he's a good manager or not. I can't either. And that's, I mean, he's a hundred and what, 130 games in or so. Yeah. So, I, I, you know, I, I, like I said, they're going to be growing pains right. there too. Right. But, but you can't, but I can't tell because look, he doesn't, there are no moves to make. He can't make any moves to let you know whether he's out. And he's just trying to write. He's, he's in the middle of games trying to just put band-aids out, out on there and occasionally a tourniquet. Yeah, and and the one thing to keep an eye on, we've talked about it the last couple of weeks on our show down here, is, you know, the the one starting pitcher for some reason that he lets work deep into ball games is Tyler Anderson. Yeah, I know. Um, and, and nobody else is really given the you know JT Brubaker was lifted after like seventy six pitches the other day, and he was dealing. Um, you know, he did something similar to Will Crow. He let Will Crow hit for himself in the fifth inning uh, last week one day, and then takes him out after a 10-pitch walk the, the following half inning. It's just those those are young guys that you want to see tested. You want to see them uh, try to push through adversity. And he, those are the ones he's listing early, but then he's leaving Tyler Anderson, who everybody knows what Anderson is. And, uh, again, like I said, he's probably trade bait at the deadline if you can get anybody to bite and give you anything worthwhile. That's not the guy I need to see you give a longer leash to. Right. I, I need to see you give the longer leash to the young guy to see if he can fight through that adversity and those obstacles. No offense, what do you got to lose? <laughs> exactly. No, that's exactly right. You, you're bound for 100 losses anyway. You might as well find out what you have and how many of these guys are going to be around in three or four years. Chris, it's always a lot of fun to have you on. Thanks so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Oh, thank you, Steve. Always great to be with you. What an uplifting segment. Our thanks to Chris Mack. Back with more in a moment on News Radio 1070 WKOK, brought to you by Sunbury Motors. Hey, great to have you with us today. Hope you enjoyed it. Uh, check it out on the Steve Jones Show podcast, Dennis Dodd's interview, in particular on the NCAA name, image, and likeness and the future after what happened with the Supreme Court ruling this week of Alston versus the NCAA. Again, the NCAA could take great solace in the minority opinion. Oh, wait, there wasn't one. Wow. As Dennis said, Alston plus nine. Who would have thought that? Also, Joe Putnam, Chris uh, Mack for being on the show today. Great to have you with us as well. And Matt did a great job of whining, moaning, and complaining about the Yankees. <laughs> you did too on MLB and M- NBA issues. No, I didn't complain. That was all factual. I have no dog in the hunt.